Let's turn our attention to James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. James 2, 1 through 4. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Before John's lesson, I wanted to read a statement from the elders. Our nation is obviously in turmoil right now due to heightened racial tensions. The Katy congregation is blessed with remarkable diversity. And as your shepherds, we want to acknowledge that many among our own member, numbers are hurting. Scripture tells us to bear one another's burdens, as well as to weep with those who weep. Consider this. Not only has our Father made all of humanity in his image, but he has gone even further by reconciling people of every tribe, tongue, and nation into one family, one family in Christ. One of God's great goals has always been to unite people in Christ, and that goal must be ours as well. Racism in all forms is sinful and should not be present in, Christi in Christians or anyone else's lives. As your shepherds, we want to challenge this congregation to live out the truth that we are family and that the last best hope for our nation is only found in serving Christ together, side by side. This morning, we asked John to speak on the subject of let there be no distinctions among you. We pray that you will not only be hearers, but also doers of God's will. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we acknowledge you as the one true God, the provider of all that is good. And we are thankful, dear God, for this avenue of prayer so that we can let our requests be known. Most of all, dear God, we are thankful for your great love that you have for us and that you've shown us and the salvation that you provide us through the sacrifice of your son on the cross. Dear God, the world is dealing with pandemic, with racial strife, with rioting, with looting, and other sinful activity. We pray for our leaders, dear God, that they have the wisdom, the common sense to seek harmony amongst the various factions and amongst each other. We pray, dear God, for peace and unity in this country and in the world. We pray for focus, that we have focus on you and your word, for that is the path to peace and righteousness. We pray, dear God, for unity of mind focused on Christ. We pray that we're sympathetic to others' needs and hurts. 
We pray that we reflect brotherly love to all mankind, particularly to those of the household of faith. We ask for a tender heart and humility, and that we seek the bond of peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We ask all these things in your son's holy name. Amen. In courthouses around our country, there are statues of justice. And justice is always shown as wearing a blindfold. Maybe you've seen those statues or those images engraved on buildings. A blindfolded justice and she's holding up a scale, a balance. And the idea, the concept behind that statue is that when people come to the courthouses of our country and they seek for fairness, they seek for equity, they seek for justice, that they can find it regardless of where they come from and what they look like. Our nation was founded on the idea that all men are created equal. And so that ideal is emblazoned on courthouses around our country. As we look at what God's word has to say, we need to consider his voice. It seems to me that as people are angry and upset about so many things in our country right now, it seems to me that the voice we ought to turn to first, that we ought to listen to foremost is the voice of God. And it seems to me as well that very often the voice of God is drowned out and is forgotten in the midst of everything else that's happening around us. If you have your Bible this morning, please open to James chapter two. James chapter two, and I want you to listen this morning to God's voice. What I wanna say this morning is not the opinions and the thoughts and the philosophies of John or of the eldership or of any particular member of the Katy congregation. I want to speak according to the oracles of God. First Peter chapter four, verse 11. I want people to hear and to understand that God has spoken about the issues that plague our country. God has spoken about these things to the church. As you look at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, I want you to notice that the passage deals with the subject, the issue of what we call prejudice. The idea of prejudice is that we prejudge. That's what the word literally indicates. That we judge beforehand based on a limited amount of information. We judge another person. And people can be prejudiced on a number of different fronts. When you think about it, we might be prejudiced against people who are of a different age or a certain age. We might be prejudiced based on someone's appearance, what they look like. We might become prejudiced based on ancestry. Who are your parents? Who are your ancestors? What tribe or culture do you originate from? Ancestry is a basis for prejudice. Achievement is a basis for prejudice. Have you accomplished as much as I have? Have you made the same grades and achieved the same standards in your field as I have? Achievement can be a basis for prejudice. Affluence, money, possessions, material things can be a basis for prejudice. And when you look at that list, I want you to notice that it is a wide ranging issue. It's one that plagues humanity, to be sure, 
but there are a lot of different areas in which a person may be prejudiced. I also want you to know, as you think about James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, that the God who we serve is a God who shows no partiality. He is a God that looks down upon his creation and he looks upon us and regards us as equals regardless of age or achievement or ancestry or any of those other things. Notice a number of passages in scripture for a moment. Deuteronomy 1 verse 17, you, Israel, shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, God says, bring to me and I will hear it. But whatever you do, be impartial in the way that you judge. In Deuteronomy 10 verse 17, think about the character and nature of God being described here. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. God is not going to be partial to anyone based on the color of their skin, the language that they speak, their country of origin. He is a God who shows no partiality. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter, recognizing that God was accepting of Cornelius, a Gentile in his household, Peter says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. And that was a revelation to Peter. That was something that he had not thought about before. God really is the God of both the Jew and the Gentile. This was not something that up to Acts chapter 10 had been in Peter's mind, had been in his thought process. In Romans 2 verse 11, the apostle Paul writes, there is no partiality with God. Are you seeing a theme here? Are you seeing that there is some consistency in scripture regarding who God is and what he's like? In 1 Peter 1 verse 17, if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. God is impartial in the way that he treats people. And if God is that way, the implication is this, you ought to be that way. I ought to be that way. This is what God is calling people to be. When you look at James chapter two, verses one through 13, there are five observations about prejudice in this passage. And here is my challenge to you this morning. As we talk through this passage in James chapter two, my challenge to you is to set your mind in such a way that you say, I agree with what God is telling me in this passage. I agree with what he's saying to me and I'm going to translate that into my life. That's what I want you to do with the lesson this morning. I want you to agree with God, and I want you to put into practice what God teaches all of us to do in this passage. Fair enough? Statement number one, as you look at James chapter two, beginning in verse one, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. There's that word again. And the first principle to notice is that prejudice is a problem among the people of God. Well, why do you say that, John? I say that not because I've seen it firsthand, although I have. I say it because scripture teaches that that is true. 
When was James written? 2,000 years ago. James put these words into print. They are the words of inspiration. It is the very word of God himself. But it's obvious in James 2 verse 1 that James indicates that partiality and prejudice is a problem among the people of God. And notice as you look at the passage, he also teaches that our faith forbids this kind of treatment of other people. To hold our faith with partiality, that's incompatible. The two just don't go together. Prejudice and, par- and faith, they just don't, they don't mix. They don't work together. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul wrote to those who owned servants, owned slaves. And he said, treat them without partiality because your master, God himself, shows no partiality. Our faith is incompatible with partiality and prejudice. And then notice that not only does our faith forbid it, but Jesus condemns it. You know, it's interesting that in all the discussions our world is having right now about race and about the heartbreak and about the oppression and the issues that people have felt and face even today, in all of that discussion, so often Jesus Christ is left out of that discussion. He is the foundation and the basis for unity. He is the only foundation and basis for real and lasting unity. He has reconciled Jew and Gentile into one body through the cross, Ephesians 2, verses 12 through 22. And in doing that, he has shown us how we are to follow him. Jesus is the one who went to a Samaritan woman and spoke to her at a well, remember, in John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. And she was amazed. She said, how is it that you, being a Jew, speak to me, a Samaritan? Jesus shows us how to treat others. But make no mistake, when you look at James 2, verse 1, James says, my brethren, this is a problem in the church. Prejudging someone based on their appearance or their ancestry or the color of their skin, this is something that Christians struggle with. They struggled with it 2,000 years ago. And we would be lying to say that we don't struggle with the same kinds of things even today. Secondly, as you look at James 2, keep looking at the passage. Verses 2 through 4, prejudice is seen in discriminating actions. I've been having a lot of discussions personally with people about these issues, these matters. And one of the things that has resonated with me is the fact that a lot of people say, I'm not prejudiced. I I don't have those kinds of attitudes in my heart. And I believe that honest people who want to sincerely serve the Lord, I believe that all people would say, yeah, that's, that's true of me too. I don't want to feel that way toward anybody. James would say this to you and me, all of us, and we need to humble ourselves and listen to what the Bible's saying here. The way we treat people shows what's really in our hearts. Look at James 2 verse 2. If there should come into your assembly, he's talking about the church. This is God speaking to the church. If there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, 
and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and you say to him, you sit here in a good place. By the way, today that would be the back rows, right? Because that's the good place. You can make an early escape if you, if you need to. So you sit here on the back rows because that's the best seat in the house. But then you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit down by my footstool. Or worse yet, you say, maybe this isn't the place for you, poor man. Maybe you don't belong among us. Maybe there's another church that would better suit your needs. If you treat people that way, have you not shown partiality among yourselves, verse 4, and become judges with evil motives? So the illustration is you're treating two people differently based on the way they look. The rich man, based on the way he looks, is somebody you want to impress. The poor man, based on the way he looks, is somebody that you want to shun and you don't want to embrace and you certainly don't want him to feel like he's welcome or included. Prejudice is seen not just in people's hearts, it's seen in the way we treat people. Discriminating actions. And so James takes this example, this concrete example, you're treating people differently based on the way they look. And he says, number one, you're showing partiality. And number two, he says, you have become judges with evil motives. You can be a judge with good motives. We can judge people based on their character and based on their actions and what we see them doing. But when we judge people based on the way they look and we make broad brush sweeping generalizations about people, we had better be very careful because we may well be judges with evil motives. Doesn't matter what color our skin is. How we treat people, brothers and sisters, is a barometer of what's in our hearts. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said. I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again. I have a friend who preaches the gospel in another place. The congregation where he preaches is one-third white, one-third black, one-third Hispanic. And people walk into the congregation where he preaches, and they look around and they say, what glorious diversity. And they're right, that is a wonderful thing. When you look at what the gospel does, it brings people of all backgrounds together in one body. But that congregation struggles in some ways, and I'll tell you why. Listen carefully. When a white family has a wedding, mainly it's the white members who attend. When a Hispanic family is celebrating the graduation of one of their young men, mainly the Hispanic people attend. When a black family is celebrating an engagement, it is mainly the black members who attend. And James would look at that and he would use that as an illustration just like he does here and say, are you not showing partiality? Have you not become judges with evil motives when you treat others that way? Some things to think about for the people of God. Three, prejudice may blind us to vital realities. 
Look at verses five through seven. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? James is asking, what kinds of people are receptive to the gospel? You're making all these distinctions about who's worthy to be in your assembly, and you're not thinking about the really important question. Who is it that is most receptive to the gospel message? God's chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. And you're despising people that you think are less affluent than you. And then a second reality, look at verse six. You have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do the rich not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? And so you're treating the rich man well, but he's the one who's committing some grievous sins. And one of the questions God's people need to ask is, what kinds of sins are often overlooked because of prejudice? There are some sins that we tend to excuse as the people of God because we're making broad sweeping generalizations about what kind of people we want to be among us. Prejudice may blind us to some vital realities. We need to think and prayerfully consider what God says. Do you agree with these things? If your argument is, I, I, don't, I don't appreciate the approach, your argument is with God because we're saying exactly what the text is telling us. Look at verses eight through 11. What does the text tell us? Prejudice is sin. There's just no other way to put it. When I begin to treat someone differently based on their appearance, whether it's because I think they're rich or poor, whether it's because I think that the color of their skin matters, whether I think that it's because of where they come from and who their ancestors are, I am committing sin when I treat someone differently based on outward appearance alone. It's sin. Look at verse eight. James contemplates this. You know, it's not wrong to honor people. It's not wrong when a rich man comes in to say, we're really glad you are here. We want you to be included in our assembly. And if you're doing that because you love your neighbor as yourself and that's your motive, if that's why you're embracing the rich man, great, James says, that's fine. As you look at verse eight, I want you to think about this. All of us need to. Just because we see someone being kind, just because we see someone embracing another person does not necessarily mean that prejudice is happening. In verse eight, there may be a need for the benefit of the doubt on all of our parts. But James goes on to say, if you're treating the rich man well just because he's rich, look at verse nine, you are committing sin and you are convicted by the law as a transgressor. So it may well be that you're doing this out of good motives and if so, well and good, but if you're doing this because 
You admire the rich man because you want more of him and his friends in your assemblies. If that's why you're treating him differently, you're sinning and you're convicted as a transgressor. Our obligation as Christians is to observe all of God's commandments. We teach people about their need for Christ and we teach people about the need to commit to discipleship and we teach people about what it means to become a disciple. All those are commandments from our Lord, but so in the same manner, the commandments about how we're to treat our fellow man now that we're Christians, all of God's law, every bit of it is important. We can't overlook any of it. In verse 11, James says, the one, the God who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, check, doing well with that law, but you do commit murder, uh-oh, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so it may well be that a lot of people live their lives as Christians and they do a lot of good things and they live a moral upright life. But if prejudice gets a hold of our hearts and if it is pervasive in our lives, we're convicted by the law as transgressors. This is every bit as much a sin as murder or adultery or anything else that the Bible calls a sin. And we must speak about it in the same vein. It's wrong. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what color your skin is to treat another person in a prejudicial way for everyone is sinful. Now look at verses 12 and 13, statement number five. God says, I'm going to judge prejudice. I'm watching your life. I'm watching your actions. I'm watching the way you treat other people and I will be your judge. Verse 12, so speak and so act as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Three observations, our words will be judged. In all of the rancor and anger and hyper difficult conversations that people are having right now, you and I need to remember all of us that our words are gonna be judged by God. The things we say, the things we put in print on social media, those words we will give an account Make sure you're speaking as those who will be judged by the law of liberty because we're going to stand before our maker one day. We need to think about what our words represent. Our actions will be judged. Don't just speak in the right manner with humility, with res reservation, but act in the right manner in a way that upholds the goodness and the impartiality of God. Our motives will be judged. Look again at verse 13. Mercy or no mercy. The Bible is telling us in verse 13 that when we treat someone differently because they look different than us, we are being unmerciful. 
We're not treating them with the benefit of the doubt. And doesn't the Sermon on the Mount have something to say about blessed are the merciful, for they themselves shall obtain mercy? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. So it is in James 2.13, judgment will be without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Practical suggestions. Don't put your Bibles down just yet. In the last couple of weeks, I've been asked a number of times, what can the church do? I mean, people really want to know, what does the Katy Church need to do in response to the difficult things that are happening around us? What can we do as a body of God's people? And I have three suggestions, and they come right out of this passage. Three suggestions for the Katy Church, practical suggestions that you and I need to take seriously. Number one, every one of us needs to examine, not just our heart. Don't just say, well, I'm not prejudiced. I know my heart and I just don't feel that way toward anybody. Doesn't matter whether their, their nationality, their background, their color of skin, I don't feel that way. I'm not saying don't just judge your heart. I'm saying judge your actions the way you treat people. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. And we really need to ask ourselves difficult questions as a congregation. Are there groups and subgroups within the body that are based on race? And if so, why? Am I treating people differently because of the color of their skin? And if I am, why? Because God tells me that's a sin. Secondly, we need to engage with each other. This separation and this pandemic that has happened over the last two and a half months, this has been detrimental to the body of Christ here. We are suffering as a body right now because we have not been sitting at tables together and looking each other in the eye and having conversations about what's going on in your life. What are some challenges and things that you're dealing with? And we haven't been praying together and we haven't been thinking and dreaming together about what we can accomplish in the Lord's service. We haven't been doing any of that. If we have been interacting, it's either been by phone call and text message or it has been over social media. And while there are some benefits to those avenues, I'm telling you, they are no substitute for face-to-face -face interaction. They're just not. We need to engage with one another. We need to intentionally say, I see some division among the people of God based on whatever. Whether, whether it's based on race or whether it's based on affluence or education, I see division and I'm going to be the solution. I'm going to engage with somebody that doesn't look like me. And I want to make that person my friend. Don't you think that's a Christ-like thing to do? Difficult, yes. Christ-like, absolutely. Third suggestion. We need to be thoughtful and prayerful as a body about outreach. I've been concerned about this for years, personally. What does a black person who comes into our assembly feel like? 
I hope they feel welcome. I hope they feel like this is a place where they can belong to Christ and to the people of Christ. What does a Hispanic person who comes into our assembly feel like? What do they perceive? Do they perceive that they are welcome? Do we do anything to make them feel that way? What does a person who is practicing homosexuality feel like when they come into our assembly? Do they feel like this is a group of people who sincerely are interested in my soul and they care about me and they want me to become a disciple of Christ? I'm saying to you that we as a congregation, as a body can be a solution because this is what God has done to the problems which plague our country. And it doesn't happen in a huge macro type of environment. It happens when we faithfully and sincerely act like disciples are supposed to act and think like disciples are supposed to think. And the church, the body of Christ has a leavening influence on the world around us. And we don't have to see how that works. And we don't have to know all the ins and outs. We believe in a God who can take our meager efforts and our meager faithfulness and can change the course of nations because that's what his kingdom is designed to do. Put your faith in the Lord and let your actions and your heart follow him fully. Maybe you're not a Christian and you wanna obey the gospel this morning. Turning to Jesus Christ is the only way to find salvation. It's the only way to find unity. It's the only way to find true family and holiness. Believe in Jesus Christ, repent of your sin, be baptized for the remission of your sin. If we can help you with that commitment this morning or if we can help you in any way by praying with you, won't you respond while together we stand and while we sing?